or read scripture today. Morning, Reliance. If you'll turn your Bibles to chapter 12 of Romans, we'll be reading beginning and ending in verse 9. And if you'll please stand. So Romans 12:9 says, "Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good." You may be seated. We gave Brandon the extra long passage this morning. Good morning, Reliance. Um, some of you guys probably walked in this morning and realized or remembered, oh, it's Family Sunday. And I'd like to, with you, before I go and I reflect with the text with each other, I'd just like to speak um, to the children that are now present in the room. Um, we're glad you're here. You're going to hear this morning, uh, one of our hopes is that uh, you kind of grow to understand what the adults are doing on a Sunday morning as well. You're going to see before you a table in which uh, we regularly, for those of us in Christ, who have affirmed the work of Christ and that he saved sinners from their sins, that he rose again on the third day, and that those of us who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and exercised that through baptism, we regularly participate in the table together. And so um, it's kind of a Sunday of reflection. Um, Some of you may have not yet responded to the gospel. I would ask you to consider, as you consider with us, who Christ is to you. And uh, parents, I think it is good discipline to have your children sit and listen. We have many things throughout the week that compete with our children's mind. It is good parenting to say, listen up, sit up, um, pay attention. Uh, I heard those words as from my own father, my own mother, and that required much patience, much diligence from my own mother and parent, and I'm thankful for their attention to those things. And so it's our desire that, uh, yeah, you would reflect with us as adults um, for what Christ has done for us as we consider here in a moment taking the table together. So with that... With the passage read before us, love sincerely, abhor evil, cling to what is good. Let's let's pray. Lord, you are good. There was a time in which, Lord, I did not cling to what was good. And there's not a person in this room that has found themselves outside that reality. For we all came into this world broken, sinners, under sin, We had abhorred the goodness of God and cling to our own selfish ambitions. But by your grace, and only by your grace, do we find the love of God demonstrated in Christ towards us, even that while we were sinners, he died for us. And we have experienced the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And so with that heart of worship, Lord, I pray that as we consider these words in the new relationship that we have now with you, with great delight of how we might apply them for ourselves. For I know we live in a world that wants to 
taste this. And I know that there are even those in this room who have not don't necessarily regularly taste this among the beloved. And I hope that in our case that that would be found true. That we love sincerely. That we abhor evil. And we cling to what is good. In Jesus' name, amen. The truth of the matter is, is when I came to this verse, I know it's one verse, and traditionally, if you've been here at Reliance for a significant amount of time, we don't do one verse sermons. But when we got to Romans 12, I told you that we were going to slow down. Because I believe that the worship in which God has called us in light of Christ, the ethics of the Christian church are profoundly put on display here in this chapter. So I, call, I think it's helpful for us to consider them patiently. It would be actually convenient, this one verse, I could split into three different sermons. And I would have nothing really difficult to do. Week one could be love without hypocrisy. Week two, abhor what is evil. Week three, cling to what is good. Man, it's all the work is done for me. Or we could reflect on all of them at once, which would be just as good. And so I've chosen the latter for us today. Reality is this, I have a hard time separating them from one another. Love sincerely, without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. The question I have for us, and I want you to ask yourselves as we come to passages like this, as Paul's labor throughout the whole book of Romans thus far is, he's come to a point where you should be able to ask yourself, do I see this in me? If it is true, as Romans 12.1 says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies in light of what Christ has done, even all before, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. These things that we now read in Romans chapter 12 are written for us to be seen. We should be able to taste them for ourselves, the transforming work of Christ and what he has done and moving us from the old creature into the new creature. And so when we read these things, there's the question that I have asked for you is, and myself, whether you be a child or whether you be an established adult, are these things true of me? Do I love sincerely? Do I abhor evil? Do I cling to what is good? That'd be step one. Step two, these actually a little bit more difficult. Do we live a life so close enough to one another, preferably starting with your spouse or with your parent and then extending to the local church? Do you live in such a way that they could testify that these things that Paul declares true in your life? For fruit can be seen, it can be tasted, it can be tested, and it can be confirmed. Jesus taught like this. Paul taught like this. Peter taught like this. This is why Jesus uses the analogy throughout all the Gospel of Matthew of trees and good fruit. It's, it says the fruit is obvious. Matthew 7, verse 16 through 20. You will know them. You'll taste it. You'll see it. You'll confirm it. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad trees bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce 
good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire, the eternal consequence. So then you will know them by their fruits. Paul writes these things in Romans chapter 12. Jesus affirms these things. You can taste it. If there is transformation, you should be able to taste it and the beloved around you should be able to confirm it. Highly con- I, I say these things because the table is before us in which we take individually and collectively as a family in which we all testify of the work of Christ in us and through us. So it's a highly reflective week. It would be easy, as I've said, to walk through Romans chapter 12 and to read it in light of someone else, which we're so prone to do. We read the scriptures as first as an individual response, recognizing that we all have a right to respond to Christ. And as a result of that right relationship with Christ, now we corporately collect together and remember what Christ has done for us as a people. And Paul anticipates that we know what worship tastes like, right? Um... Jesus, he uses another analogy, Matthew chapter 12, referring back to the tree. If there's a bad tree, all you can do is make it a good tree. That's what needs and necessary needs to take place. Either make the tree good and the fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. So I say all this in my introduction, highly reflective. I want you to ask yourself, is this true for you? Do you love sincerely? Do you abhor evil? Do you cling to what is good? And would your spouse, co-worker, parent, Friend, confirm that these things are the Spirit's work within you. Oh, how sad it would be if the beloved would live so disconnected from one another that they could not testify or confirm of the Spirit's work in them. And that's what the table does. A coach, he sits close to his athlete. Why? So that he can confirm that he gets what he's supposed to be doing and understands the athletic ability that's supposed to be there. If it's lacking, he will coach him into the place where he will have that strength. A teacher sits close to a student to test, darn those teachers, and to correct and to affirm whether knowledge is there or not. A doctor sits closely to the physically weak to cure, to assist, and indeed heal where necessary. In the church, what has God gifted us to confirm, to know, to attest of the Spirit's work in us? And here you ought to be reading in Romans 12 with highly reflective language. Is this true of me? Is the fruit there? Can I taste it? Or do I love wickedness? Do I fight against the principles of God? We can test these things. And when we know, we genuinely actually are responding in worship. I want to hint on one word here. You'll see it in Romans chapter 12, 9. Let it love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. And verse 9, cling to what is good. The Christian life should be marked by this one word, good. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. In light of this transformation, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove, test, challenge, confirm, show worth that is genuine what the will of God is, that which is good. The fruit of the life of a believer, those who have been transformed can taste the work of the Holy Spirit. And here we are, point one, 
I could start with let love be sincere, point to a poor evil, and finish with point three, cling to what is good. We're going to ruin all that. We're going to start in the middle, abhor what is evil. Because we know, for those who are in Christ know that something's changed. For we once did not abhor evil. In fact, you remember in the very beginning when we wrote, began the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 21, we came into this world with a highly different tone towards, towards God and his standards. Verse 21, for even though they knew God, put in the past tense, we could say, for even though we knew God, we came into this world, we knew he sat there and created all things. They, we, did not honor him as God or even give thanks. So often, even in our own society, we measure our morality, our righteousness before God on the basis that I haven't killed someone. Or I haven't lied enough or too much or I haven't stolen. God, here at Paul, reveals to us that the, the standard rebellion starts when you wake up in the morning and you don't say, praise be to God. You don't even give thanks for the food that sits in front of you. Disregarding his kindness, his provision for shelter, for, for prosperity. Do not even honor him. That's where it starts. James, you say you believe in God? Well, good. The demons do and they shudder, right? You don't even move. That's just the, the beginnings of rebellion. In the beginnings in which we used to wake up and just love not having to say thanks. It's what you once were. And that is the basis by which we began to abhor what is evil. Verse 21 again. For even though they knew God and they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile. And their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Even though... We would get up every morning, and every morning that we would get up, we'd look at the creation, see that it is good, and know that God is good. We recognize that, even as the psalmist declares, Psalm 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We exchanged the glories of God for foolishness, and we rejected it. Psalms 45, 9, The Lord is good to all, and we live life, thankless lives towards Him. You can tell... If a tree is bad, here's the beginnings of the basis which we come to realize. You can see if a man is not transformed. You can tell if a man's love is not sincere towards God. So how easily the word God comes out of the pagan mouth, our mouths, in shame, distaste. Poor, we loved once, to just use his name lightly. Even more than that, we even exercised our fruits once as we abhorred evil. We enjoyed our evil, cling to it. As Paul says, this is what we did. This was the fruit. Romans 1, 29. So I read the list. You can see the fruit. You can taste the fruit. You can actually identify with yourself as participants of those who've done these things. Romans 1, 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness, we clung to evil. Wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. These are the fruits. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, 
inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, children. Your rebellion towards God manifests in a fruit when your parents tell you to do something and you say, oh, I remember it. Go clean the dishes, Jacob. Go fold the clothes. Mom and dad go out on errands. They come back and they say, why haven't you done the dishes or fold the clothes? What's your response? What's my response? I don't want to. These are fruits of rebellion. And not only are the children that do this, we do this even as adults. Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although we, they, we know the ordinance of God, we know that they're true, and that those who practice such things are worthy of death, They and we did not only do the same, but also gave hearty approval to those who practiced them. When we get to Romans chapter 12, and Paul says, there has been transformation. That which you once loved is now something you abhor. You can tell if a tree is good and if it can bear good fruit. John, he will say, the children of God are obvious. It's highly a reflective passage. Is your love sincere? Or is it purely selfish bent? And this is what Paul warns us in chapter 1 of Romans. And that if the love which we have is purely for ourselves, the eternal weight that lands on an individual is eternally destructive. It places them before the wrath of God. As Romans goes on to say in Romans 2, verse 2, God, we know that God, for those who live selfish lives, we know the judgment of the God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. Romans 2, 6, for God will render to each person according to his deeds. He cares about fruit and what kind of fruit it is. And he warns us in Romans 2, 8, 9 to those who do cling to that which is evil, to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul who does evil of the Jew first and also the Greek. The fruit of the tree is obvious. You can test it. You can taste it. You can witness it. And we are so deceptive even ourselves. How will we know if we've been transformed if we live by ourselves? Romans chapter 12. You have to see it. If I were to read chapter 12 verse 1 again. The plea is written to a body of believers. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, a people, by the mercies of God to present your bodies together collectively, a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And in that, we recognize something has changed in the way we live. We don't like sin anymore. If we do, we have to ask the question, is the Spirit so transformed us to love God genuinely? 
And the only means by which a natural man can come to right understanding of evil is by the grace of God. I've already read it and quoted it already, but 1 John 3.10. By this, the children of God, the children of the devil are obvious. Everyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. So we're here before a table, highly reflective thought. Is that true of me? Do I now hate that I, the thing that I which once loved? Has lust changed? The love of money, has that changed? The use of my time, has that changed? Is something that I once loved, abhorred gossip, as now I abhor it, has that changed? Have I been transformed? And has that been testified? Can that be testified in the beloved? That be true. Love sincerely, point two. Here's the, the joy which when we come to realize what God has done for those who once, abhor, once cling to what is evil. Therefore I urge you, Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, it's the theme verse that starts this whole thing going. By the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Acceptable God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world. You used to cling to the world. Now you abhor the things of the world. So now, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove. Emphasize this already, but you, you test it, you, you determine the genuineness of this that in the way that you live the fruit out so that, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. If God has so done a work in you, it changes the way you love. Now, if we're not careful... We may want to define what that love looks like, but we're, we're going to be very careful in that the love of which we now ought to extend to the world is not a love that's defined by the world, but rather, rather it's defined by God himself in that the fruit does look significantly different. And so we recognize this sharp contrast that should live excuse me, in the life of the believer. And the greatest expression of this is we found in Romans 5.8. What does God's love look like? That God demonstrated his own love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sincere love is not based upon the merit of the other individual. Well, I remember working with a guy. And we all think this way. Well, I'm going to work harder when I get paid more. The means of the relationship between the employee to the employer was, he pays me more, I will serve more. And that basis comes into even our own mindset of how we ought to love one another. When they love me more, I'll love them more. When they respect me, then I'll respect them. That is a standard of worldly thinking. Not the mind of one who's been transformed. The one that has been transformed, the fruit that you can taste, extends love to those who are your enemies. You love them. We recognize, we ab- yes, we do, we abhor the way that we used to live. We hate sin. But we don't refuse the sinner in a way that we confront that sin amidst, amidst the world. We love There's a way that Christians love that's entirely different than the way that the world says love is. 
God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, unthankful, ungrateful, unwilling to say thank you, he died for us. Gave his life for us. Man, is that love sincerely in you? That's a tough one. Does the Spirit so convict you to live that way? Or are you prone like myself at times to revert to the flesh, to love on the basis of merit? We could do three sermons here, couldn't we? Let love be without hypocrisy. If you've been loved by God and been so transformed by his love, the fruit of that love should be great. And the world around you should say, man, that tastes great. Where did you get that love? We don't work hard because we get paid more. We work hard because the one who sacrificed all things for us allowed us to live life not on the basis of merit, but on the basis of him who gives everything to what he sets out to do. It's convicting. This type of love is sincere. You can see it today how we split the culture. Opinions on this side, opinions on the other, yet no love. There is a type of love which is able to confront sin and yet invite them in repentance. Jesus saw the prostitute. He did not accept the lustful passions but rather says your sins are forgiven and then call her an invitation to a whole transformed way of living. If there is a way that we can learn it, my prayer for you as the saints is that you could go to your workplaces and your schools or into your families and confront sin in such a way that's inviting. For the gospel is this, is it not? Repent. Yet sometimes the way that we abhor evils in so much a confrontational way, there is no opportunity for repentance. It's rather like pushing the man further into his issues rather than saying God's ways are greater. We're calling people to good things. God is calling people to a whole new way of living. And in that, there is love without hypocrisy. We're calling people in love to he who is good and away from things that will destroy people's lives. Romans 8, 6 through 8. We must have this mindset for those who are not in Christ. For the mindset on the flesh, those who depend upon their own reasoning, is death. Don't go down that road. It'll kill you. You'll steal everything from you. You'll die utterly alone. We're going to a man's funeral, addicted to alcohol, addicted to all sorts of passions of the flesh, died utterly alone. Would it not be loving for a Christian to say at one point in conviction and play, maybe there was, this thing will steal every, these addictions will steal everything from you. But look what is good, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. But the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. 
For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Those who are in the flesh, they cannot, they cannot please God. Let love be sincere. While we abhor evil, we, we look at it in the sense we remember living like that. We remember the fruit of that life. And so we plead, be free. There is a better way, and the gospel is good news. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. By the Spirit's work, you can actually learn to hate that which is evil. Cling to what is good. Point three. Everything rests, I would say, I would, I would, I would underline this. Cling. Cling. Cling to what is good. For the one who endures till the end will be saved. There's an, there is a fruit which the Spirit creates within the life of the believer that does not exist for one season. We live in this culture, right? So you show up on Easter, you show up on Christmas, there's, there's these moments of fruit. No, the transforming work of God in the beloved is for a lifetime. He who began a good work will see it to completion. You may find yourself in the midst of a beloved people, but at some point if you depart, is that good fruit or bad fruit? The fruit loves sincerely. It clings, it holds on, it fastens himself or herself to it. I remember it was at our eighth anniversary. I stood up here and I had one request and desire for you. And the word was steadfastness. That you and I would be a people that would be known for our persistence in the truth. Which is only a mark of fruit. I was sitting on a plane. You guys knew I was not here last week. I was flying down to Sacramento to do an Ironman, which got canceled. So it was a, I joined you online instead of riding my race. But on the plane way down, there was a gal I never probably would have had the opportunity to speak to. Wonderful conversation. And she asked me at one point, why? Why do you do these things? And I said, every time I do a race, I learn something new. One thing I've learned is that the sacrifice of a long race, like I've done short triathlons, the joy of finishing those is like, yay. But the longer and the harder it is, how much more significant the reward at the end. And it, that has taught me, as long with the scriptures, like I remember, and I've said this before, I've said to my wife that I wanted to be faithful to her on my wedding day. But faithfulness is not one in a weekend, is it? No, we cling to faithfulness. For we see the fruit of faithfulness after a lifetime. And the fruit of faithfulness is way better than a weekend The beloved recognized that fruit, good fruit, sometimes takes a lifetime of the Spirit's work. Not one weekend's, I'm going to be patient this week. Or I'm going to be gracious tomorrow and exercise the work of the Spirit. 
We go, yeah, we'll fail. <laughs> the Spirit will convict us of the remember the standard. Man, the fruit sometimes, it can pop up in a moment, but sometimes the greatest fruits take a lifetime to develop and require clinging, steadfastness. You see that word good, cling. Paul warned us in the very beginning, right? I, I alluded to this in the very beginning under first point. Those who live selfish, ambitious lives, evil. The wrath of God will be extended to them. But to those who do good, he makes a point of this. Just as he referenced here, I think to connect these things all together. Romans 6, or excuse me, Romans chapter 2, verse 6. This mindset of clinging. We know that God will render to each person according to his deeds. And to those who by perseverance, those who cling and doing good, seek for glory, honor, immortality, eternal life. Those who are marked by sincere love for the beloved and for the world around them, those who abhor evil and cling. This is why Jesus was saying, to those who endure till the end, they will be saved. Right? To those who perseverance in doing good, seek for glory and honor, immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious, we know this. My time, I got to do it with what I want. I'll define what the standard of truth is. And do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does a evil of the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good. What is good? It's clinging to the realization that even though while we were a sinner, the standard of God, the righteousness of God, which was realized and manifest and testified in Christ Jesus, Exercise of sincere love towards his enemies, dying on the cross for our sins, rose again on the third day, and granted to those who respond in faith eternal life, and to those who now look to Christ as the standard for their life, cling in persistent love of that standard and doing good. Pouring evil and testifying faithfully to the things of Christ. In other words, if we could learn to make Christ the standard of, of what we do and look at his life for a lifetime, the reward of that is eternal life. So I've asked in the very beginning, right? I've asked, are these things in you? Are they in me? Can they be testified as a people together that we are walking in this way? Can we taste the fruit of the transforming work of Christ in us as a people? doesn't mean we're perfect, right? Man, we put that standard up there. Nobody's coming to the table today. But it does mean just like Christ who's humble, that we're able to receive each other humbly. Titus 3. We also were once foolish ourselves. Disobedience. Disobedience deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy and hatred, hating one another. 
many days has that not been increased in our world? Like we taste it now. Do we hate it? Do we want the goodness of God and the spirit of God so much more manifested in the beloved and then exercised to the world around us? But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds. So we don't come to the table and mark by the merit that we might think we bring to it, but rather by the grace of God. Not on the basis of deeds, but which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, the renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we may be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So we come humbly. We come recognizing the mercy of God that we not always live this way. There are times where I divert back to that which I once loved. But the guilt of that overwhelms us when we participate in things that we now abhor. That the spirit within us abhors And it's possible that the church can divert, right, to its former way of living. And this is why the church has something to offer the world. Like, we have this idea of reconciliation and repentance. Paul was concerned with the church in Corinth. I'm afraid, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he writes to a church that's, fighting against each other better. (laughs) Not exercising love with sincerity. Actually clinging to some evil. I'm afraid that perhaps when I come, I might find you to be not what I wished. And may be found by you not to be not what you wish. That perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, anger, tempers, disputes, Slanders. We're prone to this. Gossip. Arrogance. Disturbances. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God, my, my God may humiliate me before you. And I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. We come to the table highly reflective. Not because we're perfect, but the one who is head of the church is perfect. And he sanctifies his beloved. And we recognize the benefit of living to life together. And that I am a professional and I can think highly of myself in my own mind. But I am so thankful for people like, like you. There have been times where elders will come into the office or call me up and say, in loving ways, you're a little off. This is not the right way. My wife will come and say, and at times it pierces. But this is what love does. It sanctifies and it trusts in the spirit of the beloved to be corrected. We do this humbly, mercifully, and reflectively, because we have a love for one another. And praise God that in the beloved we can say, Lord, forgive me. 
And that we have in the DNA of the Holy Spirit the means for reconciliation. It's awesome. The world doesn't have it. And so when we ask, and I've asked you children, and I've asked you as well to reflect with me. When convicted of sin, what's the fruit? Let us consider these things. Do we love the beloved? Do we love sincerely? Do we love those who only love us? Gentiles do that, Jesus would say. The pagans do that. (laughs) Now love your enemy. Do you cling to what is good? Over and over and over and over again. We all fail. There's the spirit pleading within you to cling, cling, cling. Persist. We ought to be a people who are not conformed to this world, but are being transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we may test, prove that which is genuine, the will of God, as a people together. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. If you allow me one more, and we'll go to the table. First Peter. What I love about the scriptures is how uniform they are. Peter writing to a dispersed churches. First Peter chapter 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts. A them. Which was which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We tasted it in Christ. We see his goodness. We see his holiness and now desire that for ourselves. Well, how does that take place, Peter? Verse 22. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. You love those who God loved and extended his grace to. It doesn't stop there. It works its way out into community. But you fervently love one another from the heart. You don't want to be apart from each other. For you have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. We know all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, church, whether it be in your families or whether it be in the communities or wherever it is, and the beloved, put aside all malice, put aside all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. And when we do that's worship. Do it like newborn babies. Just love to do it all the time. They long for the pure milk of the word so that it may be that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, it's you who transforms a heart to a poor evil. We are not arrogant men to think that we flee from sin by our own natural desires. We have been so transformed by your grace, by the Spirit, we pray that uh, 
We hate that which we once loved. Lord, I pray that you would give us diligence and steadfastness, persistence and perseverance, for we are prone to wander. And so, Lord, as the table is now set before us, Lord, I pray in the highly reflective means by which we are coming before it today, would you convict us of any sin that we do not abhor? And Lord, I pray, because you are merciful and that you are forgiving, that you would restore us um, and recognizing that only by the grace of God that we can remember what you have done for us. And Lord, as a result of participating in communion, may we walk more sanctified in Christ Jesus as a result of the Spirit's pleading within. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd invite you to wait as you receive to consider it and we'll take it.